0: All right. Well, good afternoon, everybody. I'd like to welcome all of you who are watching and following along with this edition of the Virginia Sports Hall of Fame's Hall Call Interview Series. As always, I'm Will Driscoll, the Executive Director here at the Hall of Fame. And Hopefully everybody has some clean brackets still we're about halfway through the first day of the NCAA tournament so it's a it's a very exciting sports day, uh, not just here in Virginia, but across the country. Uh, Before we get started, though, as always, I'd like to thank our partners who who help us put Hall Call and everything we do here at the Hall of Fame on priority automotive city of Virginia beach Davcon Inc. Optima health ESPN radio and uh, Davis business appraisers We're able to bring you programs like this because of their support. Well, we are just 44 days away from our 2022 induction. And for those of you who, who haven't been following along, this is actually our first induction since 2019. We were six weeks shy of our 2022 induction, when the, excuse me, 2020 induction, when, our, when the pandemic began back in 2020. But as we say here in the office, history is about to begin again. Um, as part of the run-up to the induction, we are thrilled to be joined today by one of our incoming inductees, Anthony Poindexter. You see him on the screen there. Anthony was certainly has certainly made his mark on the gridiron here in the Commonwealth of Virginia. The Lynchburg native was the 1993 Group 2A VHSL High School Player of the Year before becoming one of the all-time greats at the University of Virginia, one of three Cavaliers to be named All-ACC three times. He is also one of only two Wahoos to be first-team All-American twice with a consensus choice in 1998. Truly one of the all-time greats. Anthony, thank you for taking some time to join us today.
1: Oh, it's great to have me. Uh, Great. Thank you all for having me, Will. Appreciate it, buddy.
0: Absolutely. Well, Anthony's actually joining us from State College, Pennsylvania, where he's now co-defensive coordinator for the (laughs) Penn State Nittany Lions, so still very close to the game of football. And we were just chatting a little bit before we came on here. Spring practice actually starts next week. Now, you're still obviously heavily involved in football, but what does spring practice, what kind of memories does that bring back for you as a player?
1: Uh, <laughs> well, initially it brings back bad memories, but nah, <laughs> nah. Um, I know nah, just spring practice uh, just brought back, bring back memories of, you know, going back to the basics, getting back to the nuts and bolts of just playing football and the basic stuff that you run on offense and defense and, you know, really competing for a job. So, Um, I I, I like this time of the year. Everybody has, you know, starting with a fresh slate and and guys get an opportunity to show what they got leading into the offseason.
0: In your first spring practice at UVA, you know, you're coming from high school, Jefferson Forest High School. I didn't mention that in my interest So Jefferson Forest High School in Lynchburg. Uh, What was the biggest difference that you saw going from Jefferson Forest to your first spring practices at the University of Virginia?
1: Well, I I never forget. I, I remember walking into the locker room and like my first day, and um, I'm I'm looking, and it's one of our offensive linemen. He was balding, so I'm like, oh my goodness, I'm 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 playing with grown men. So back then you didn't have cell phones, or so I had. I waited at the payphone that night, and I called my mom. And I'm like, mom, I'm playing with grown men up here, and you know, it, it was just shocking, just the size of them. You know, coming from a smaller school out out of um, uh, JF and you know, you just didn't. You weren't used to seeing those size linemen, and um, but you know, I got used to it, and you know, tried to make the best of the career. You know,
0: is there a difference between Anthony Poindexter, the player, and Anthony Poindexter, the coach?
1: Um, yeah, I think it's a difference between the player, the coach, and the person, really. Um, as a player, you know, I almost transformed myself into someone. Um who I really didn't know. Like I was, uh, I would probably say I was mean. A lot of people would say I trash talked a ton, um, <laughs> you know, very competitive. Um, um, just when I stepped between the lines, I, I, I almost, something came over me. I don't I don't really, I can't, it's hard to explain. But, you know, as a coach, I try to, you know, I try to mentor. I try to teach. Um, I think early in my coaching career, I tried to coach like I played more. But as time then evolved and as I evolved in, in the business, you know, I didn't I'm trying to get adjusted to how the game is being played nowadays. And, you know, it, 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 kids are still kids, but, it's, you know, they're exposed to more and you try to get to know each kid so you can coach him the best way. And, um, and as a person, I'm, I'm more laid back. I'm, I'm not a you know, I'm, I'm more fun loving and I just like to have a good time, you know.
0: Well, I mean, you you mentioned trash talking. I like, I can't get away without asking you. You played against some really good teams in the ACC in the '90s. Who was the best trash talking opponent that you faced?
1: Oh no! Oh, oh let me see, man. This this was so long ago. I I mean,
0: <laughs> not I that long we, ago. Don't make us both feel old.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I, I tell you what, we had some battles against Virginia tech. I mean, it was a lot of trash talking there because we all from the state, yeah. you know, even more so back then, you know, both teams were built basically off of the state state product. So, um, we were all friends, but you know, they, we knew how much that game meant for the, the state of Virginia and, and we both teams wanted to win. I had two college. Um, I mean, actually I had two high school teammates that played with Virginia tech. A lot of my high school went to Virginia tech. So, um, I know I am my trash talking up that that week and um, you know, a lot of those guys there too.
0: Well, I, I know that just uh, being a Virginia native myself and obviously being a part of the hall of fame now that trash talking hasn't stopped. so <laughs> <Yeah, I know. laughs> still alive and well. <laughs> uh, you know, growing up in Lynchburg uh, and, and getting into football uh, obviously at a young age and then becoming the player you were, who was your biggest mentor growing up before you got to college?
1: Well, Will, I have to, I have to correct you on this. I'm from Forest, Virginia. I I, I know my people back home, so I know they would be all over me if I didn't recognize our hometown. We're very close to Lynchburg. I live probably five minutes from Lynchburg line, but, um, you know, it it was a lot of people that kind of affected my growth growing up in, in, in the game, but I would have to say, like, my cousins, and my cousins are older, so I always looked up to them, and they were playing before I was playing, so they probably eight to 10 years older than me. And when we would go to my grandma's house and play in the backyard, I would just watch him. And, you know, the one guy I remember that used to come down to my grandma's house was a guy named Danny Davis, which most people really don't know. But he was one of the best players in the state of Virginia. They used to call him the man with the red shoes. He played for Rushburg High School. And he was a phenomenal football player. The best football player I think I've ever seen in my life, even to this day. And I didn't play with Ray Lewis. I, I mean, this guy was phenomenal. And I thought to myself as a little kid, I just want to be like Danny Davis. You know, he was tough. He played, played running back. He played middle linebacker. And he, would, he could run like Walter Payton, and he could hit like Mike Singletary, in my mind, at, at that, that young age. I mean, just he was like bigger than life to me. And just watching him play and, and, and just the passion he had for the game. And when you walk to the stadium, he, I mean, that's in the 80s. I mean, people had T-shirts to this guy. Danny D on the, on his shirt. I'm like, this guy is like the guy. So I mean, I really watched him. I watched my cousins. Um, I was fortunate enough in, in Little League to have great coaches. Um, obviously, when I got to high school, playing for Bob Christmas and, and my D coordinator Ed Landis, and I just been I, I've been I've been blessed and, and, and fortunate just to have great coaches and great role models to watch along the way.
0: I think that the one thing that always uh, is pretty apparent with, with anybody who experiences any amount of success in sports is, is the fact that they did have that good support system through the coaches, through the peers, colleagues, just, just mentors in general. Um, so, so that's great to hear that that support system started early. Um, you know, when do you feel, though, as a player, you made the leap from, um, you know, obviously just growing up, just learning the skills, the developmental portion to oh, man, I, I have something special here. I, I can do something with this gift. Well, you
1: know, my brother was the first. Like my brother John is three years older than me, and he he got an opportunity to go to Ferrum College where he played football and baseball. So I would go over there when I was in high school. Um, I mean, in 10th grade, I was five nine, 150 pounds. So, you know, I won't think he made college football. I would go watch him play and watching my brother play and, and his success at Ferrum, you know, I hit my 11th grade year and I sprout up three inches, you know, I'm six foot, I'm 170 pounds. And I started to, you know, in my 10th grade, I made a lot of plays, you know, I I got my name on the map, but I was still a little kid. And then when I, when I came back from my junior year and I had the size to go along with the playmaking ability, I don't know. I, I, I don't think I was like kids nowadays and I'm going to post it or not like that. It just in my mind, I was driven to just I think I can play, I, you know, and I just each level or each, um, you know, challenge like states and stuff like that. You just got a chance to prove yourself on a different platform each and every week. I was fortunate enough to play in three state championship games. So when I was able to play well in those games in the playoffs, it just kept building my confidence that, hey, maybe I can do this thing at, at a high level.
0: Well, you mentioned that, You know, you you didn't you didn't have the mindset to post, but we also didn't have the platforms to go and post right. the highlights back then. Um, you know, so recruiting was way different back in the the mid '90s. But do you have any any you know fun or, or funny story from being recruited? Your recruiting journey until you committed ultimately to the University of Virginia. Well, my, my
1: recruitment was basically a regional recruit. I mean, I okay. just remember UCLA calling my house, and back then everybody called your, your home phone. That's
0: right, landline.
1: I, <laughs> I heard the guy talking to my mom and my mom said, ain't no need for you to call here anymore because my <laughs> baby ain't going out to California. So that never really got to talk to the UCLA coach. But um, but I was I was fortunate enough to be recruited. Um, it came down to Virginia, Virginia Tech, North Carolina and Tennessee. Um, coach Cavanaugh at North Carolina did a great job. Mack Brown was actually the head coach at the time. Um, they all I'll They recruit did you
0: project. again now.
1: Yeah. <laughs> They did a great job recruiting me. Um, everybody thought I was going to go to Carolina because my dad was a Carolina basketball fan. My dad had never been to Carolina, though. Like It wasn't like he grew up. I mean, he was just the team that was on TV the most. And so yeah. whatever happens, you know, he started liking North Carolina. Um, I went to Virginia Tech. Like I say, I had two teammates that went the year before um, Byron um, Spinner and um, Brian Jennings. So a lot of people thought, you know, I would follow in their footsteps, And also Cornell Brown, it just went that same year. So a lot of guys from the local area were there. I got a lot of people from my high school there, but um, Tennessee was just too far. I went down there on my visit <laughs> and it was snowing the whole trip down 81. And it was only four hours, but it could have been like, it felt like 16 and I'm like, I, ain't, I can't know where in the world I can go this far from home. And it was so big to me. I was like, I can't go there. And really what people didn't know is um, my best friend in life, uh, Ryan Gilliland, we grew up together. We played every sport together. And he played, he was going to college to play baseball. He had committed in December to play baseball. Now, our whole life, we've been saying we're going to college. He's going to play baseball. I'm going to play football. He kind of made my decision easier when he committed to go to Virginia in December. Because, you know, baseball signing day earlier than uh, the football signing day. So he had committed and signed to go to Virginia. And in my mind at that point, it was like, this gonna really happen. Me and, me and Ron G gonna get to go to school together. And I went to Virginia, I loved to visit. Um, ironically enough, Paul London, Mike London, who I ended up working for and working with, was, uh, brother was my host. Um, I had a childhood friend named C.E. Rose that was on the team. I was, um, it, it, it was just a special thing. Danny Wilmer recruited me. I love Coach Wilmer. Uh, coach Marcos was my DB coach and you know everybody I was scared as hell of George Welsh but you know he's neither <laughs> here nor there you know I was scared well, it was of to him in a second <laughs> <laughs> I was scared of coach but um, it was just uh, it was just it felt right to me yeah. even though Ryan was going there when I went on the visit it felt right it was my last visit I took and me and Shannon Taylor were roommates on the visit and after the first night we go out with the guys, whatever, we come back to the room, we land in the building. We're like, yeah, man, we're we coming to Virginia. We're going to commit here, this, this is the spot for us. So this kind of, I don't know if it's funny stories or not like that, but it was just kind of ironic how all of it worked out. And um, ironically that Virginia was the last visit that kind of, you know, and a lot of people say you, if you're the last visit, that's where you you mind, But it was just something about Virginia. When I walked onto the campus the first instantly, I just said, you know what? This is going to be the place for me.
0: Well, it's amazing. You know, there are so many recruiting stories that are like that. there, there's a personal connection that gets the the student athlete to make that ultimate decision. And I think a lot of those get overlooked sometimes, or just not told. And right. so there, those are those are the stories that I know that we like hearing, and our audience likes hearing. But you mentioned Coach Welsh. Fellow Hall of Famer. You've actually mentioned a couple of Hall of Famers. Cornell Brown, whose brother yeah. was Reuben Brown. Yeah. From Lynchburg, not to be confused with Forrest, but yeah. you, mentioned, uh, you mentioned Coach Welsh. You know, you you said you're scared of him. Give us a little bit of insight into, into your relationship with him. We actually talked with Herman Moore recently, and he said the exact same thing. You know, they they had their their run-ins together. But uh, he was well, obviously a hard coach, but a great coach.
1: Well, I, I know guys had run-ins with him. I never had a run-in with
0: Coach. Yeah.
1: Um, and when I say scared, I tell people, I told people this at his um at his uh, memorial service we had back in Charlottesville. It was a respect scared. Mm-hmm. Um he was like a iconic figure to me and you know, it, coach wasn't the friendliest person to be around like he and but kudos to him. He treated everyone the same. So, and you might walk down the hallway, he wouldn't he would act like he was invisible. He wouldn't say nothing to you. That was from Tiki Barber to whoever else, the walk-on guy that, you know, he didn't, like, he, he was Thomas Jones. He walked past, I mean, he walked past me. And until I became a team captain and I had to go into his office, which I was scared to go into his office at, at all times. I did not want to be in his office. I did not want to have personal conversations with him. Um, <laughs> I really truly figured out who he was and mm-hmm. how much he cared for the team. Um, but the story, the story I tell people that really, Showed me how much he cared was when I was thinking about coming out my junior year. I went into his office. I, I again, my palms sweating. I'm sweating all over the place, and I'm going in to tell him, "Man, I'm coming back to school." I don't know why I was scared, but so I'm, I come in. I sit down. I said, "Coach, I want to come back and play for you." And he was like, "That's great, but I don't need you to come back and play for me." I I didn't my money," he said. "I didn't realize you was ranked this high," and. I would love for you to be back. And he went down the list of stuff. You know, I just had a surgery. You wouldn't have to spring ball, blah, blah, blah. But he said, you need to do what's best for your family. And you got my blessing to leave. And at that point, like I almost fell out of my chair because I definitely did not think the conversation was going that way. But it really showed me the heart he had. And I really gained a different respect for him. And, and obviously once I started coaching there, coach wasn't a man of many words at at, at when when we, when he played for him. Now, once I started coaching at Virginia, I had to, I had to try to skip around him because all he wanted to do was talk at that point. Still trying to avoid him. I'm like, coach, (laughs) you talk all the time. Like you couldn't, you couldn't have a five minute. It was going to be 15, 20 minutes, but it was great. We had a great relationship. Um, He told me a lot of stuff that was going to come down the line for me. Um, the first time I was on a, a college football Hall of Fame ballot, <laughs> and his typical self, he says, "You're not going to get in this time." I'm like, "Oh, okay, okay." Coach, right. <laughs> I mean, he said, "But you're going to get in," and true to his word, you know, I wish he could have been here to see it. But he told me in twenty uh, 2014 that I was going to be in the College Football Hall of Fame, and sure enough, in 2020, I was able to get into it and. So it's it's kind of an honor to be in the same place. Now it's going to be two different places that I'm in a Hall of Fame with my head coach George Wells. Oh,
0: well, very deserving. I mean, both coach uh, yourself and you know <laughs> those teams you played on uh, in the mid '90s at UVA, some amazing talent. And I mean, I could go through the list, but I'll just go through the the Virginia Sports Hall of Famers that were on those teams. You have the Barber brothers, Rondé and Tiki, James Ferrier, Thomas Jones, who was actually the backup to Tiki and then became the, you know, the all ACC, all American running yeah. back himself. You know, what were those practices like? What was the culture of that team? Cause I just mentioned offense and defense and there are plenty of guys. I'm not even mentioning right now, just because they're, they're not in our hall of fame currently.
1: Well, you, you think we talk trash at the game. It was more <laughs> trash talk at the, at the practice field. I mean, we were very competitive. We loved each other though. Mm-hmm. We hung out. We love playing with each other, but when we put the pads on and we was especially during the spring, like you're talking about this time of the year, it, it was all our warfare. I mean, we, we hated them, they hated us at, at, for two hours a day. And it made us all better. You know, I know that everybody used that saying, iron sharpens iron. And that's what it happened. I mean, I wouldn't have been the player I, I, I became without them. I mean, I was pushed every day to be great. You could not step out on that field at a practice. You would get embarrassed if you didn't bring your A game every day. I mean, you're going against Thomas Jones, uh, Tiki Barber. Shoot, at the end of my career, Antoine Romack, Um, You know, you just start thinking about all oh, the backs that we had. I mean, you didn't bring your hard hat. You was going, it was going to be a problem. You know, so um, it, it was just great to be around all those guys. And like I said, I, I wouldn't be sitting here where I'm at today without them.
0: One of the one of the most iconic points of that mid '90s uh, University of Virginia football culture and that team was the game against Florida State. I mean, the, the game, the 1995 game against Florida State. Uh, for for anybody who's a sports fan in Virginia, they know what that game means. You don't even have to tell them. You know, uh, what day, what sport? You say 1995 against Florida State. You were actually a part of the final play where Warwick Dunn got stopped at the goal line. What was your assignment on that play and what were you thinking going into that final play, knowing that if you guys stop them, this is Florida State's first loss in the ACC?
1: Well, I, I got to tell you, 45 years later, I can barely remember the game. That's the, that's the whole sad part about it. But anyway, <laughs> so um, going into the game, I was so young. Like me and Adrian Burnham, we we redshirted. Fresh,
0: that was your freshman year, correct?
1: My redshirt freshman not Redshirt. We, we don't know. We don't know. We, I mean, we don't know no better. We just out yeah. there playing. And you're hearing all the hype, Florida State, undefeated. And I'm thinking to myself, like, it's just another football game. I, I mean, we're going to play. We got a good team. We're going we gonna to win the game. I mean, I really won't thinking of magnitude at that point. And honestly, I just was out there playing. And when that last play came up, I knew was, what was on the line. Um, I can't tell you what my job's assignment was. Uh, <laughs> I can't really tell you. Um, but back then, didn't nobody direct snap the ball to the running back? I don't remember. Like I, like quite honestly, I don't remember them snapping it to him. I, look, I, they could have handed it to him. I don't really know. I just saw the ball go to the left, and I started to move to the left. You know, and you know. I fell into the tackle. Burnham actually knocked the ball away yeah. from Ward Dunn to keep it from going across the line. And little did we know at 18 years old, we would be forever remembered for that play. I mean, it's, it's, like, it's crazy to me that people talk about that game and talk about that play to this day. Like, it was like yesterday. So I really didn't know the magnitude of it. I'm happy that I was a part of it, but that was a team win. I mean, we battled back and forth, back and forth. There's a lot of guys that played great that night. Um, the fans were unbelievable. Our coaches were unbelievable. They put us in spots to win the game. And um, luckily we came out on top. Man, if you talk to Florida State, they they think the ball crossed the line. I was
0: just about to say, <laughs>
1: no, we they not they say the, the
0: ball truth. was this far away. They'll yeah, say yeah. it was over the line.
1: <laughs> <laughs> they know the
0: truth. That's right. <laughs> Well, let's transition a little bit then to, to now your coaching career. I mean, anybody who's followed you throughout your career know that injuries played a, a role in your story, your, your right. overall story. Um, you know, what has helped you? What helped you when you were making that transition, when you realized that the injury, the, you just couldn't kick the injuries anymore and it was time to hang the cleats up, and then now you wanted to make the transition to coaching? What helped you most through that transition, or what drove you then to coaching?
1: i have to just put it on my family like my mom and dad my dad has an unbelievable story Uh, my dad became a dad at 18 he lost his dad he lost two brothers um tragically like in tragic deals and by, by the time he was 18 years old he had two younger sisters and his mom he he became a grown man at 18. um my mom my mom's mom didn't have running water to 1998. I had brought her to the Auburn game in Virginia and she still didn't have running water in the house. Um, you know, so, and then I, all my cousins, my family, like I say, like I I got a great family and I can't say we were wealthy money wise, but we was wealthy love wise and caring wise and our faith and and, and our religion and stuff like that. Just, it, it helped mold me and build me. So when I got hurt, um, yeah, did I go through some days of why me, why me? Yes, but I, I went back on to how I got there, how special it was for the opportunity I had had, you know, to get this far, you know, and things happening like I didn't die. You know, my dad had suffered through death. My mom, my, my grandpa, who I never met, had died of a heart attack. My mom's uh, dad had died of a heart attack before I was even born. So it wasn't death for me. So it really came to light. Um, One night I'm at the basketball game after I got injured. Um, I'm sitting down on the floor. They got me sitting on the floor because I really can't walk that well. And a guy with no legs came down the steps on his hands to say he felt sorry for me. And at that moment, I was like, you know what? I got nothing to feel sorry for. If a guy that that has no legs feels sorry for me, why should I ever feel sorry for myself? I'm going to be able to walk again. I might not be able to be the same same player, but I'm going to have use of my legs again. And, you know, I just I just decided, hey, look, I'm going to make the best of, you know, the situation. Um, It was things I wanted to do for my parents that really was it bothered me that I couldn't do it right away. But, you know, things happen in life. And I like I'm I'm the type of person that I see the, the glass half full instead of having and I just took that approach, and every day I just tried to battle my way through and, you know, see where life was going to take
0: Well, you've now been coaching for almost two decades. Um, yeah. You know, you're, you're, yeah it's, it's, 20
1: years, yeah. 20 years,
0: yeah, so almost two decades. What, what have you learned? What has helped make you a better coach? Like, what would the, what would Anthony Poindexter, the coach now, say to Anthony Poindexter, the graduate assistant?
1: Well, I, I done got a lot more patience, like I said uh, earlier, I didn't learn that guys not gonna have the same mindset as me, but I can try to help them with their mindset. Like, I think one of the things that the Lord blessed me with, he didn't bless me with an amazing work. He didn't bless me with an amazing 40. He blessed me with a, 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 a mindset of how to endure, how to, you know, I think I'm pretty tough or, you know, at one point I was pretty tough. I can't say that I'm tough, now, but, um, I think I, I try to keep a positive spin on things. I think you got to go through some things to get to some things. I, so the way I coach these guys is like Rome won't built in a day. You know, I said, I, I became a two-time all-American at Virginia and I was sitting in the stands at the home games, my red shirt freshman year, because George Wells didn't want a lot of guys on the sidelines. So he made the, the guys that definitely won't go play sit in the stands. Right? So, um, you know, I just try to coach them, to, man, be thankful for where you're at. Work for what you want to get. Um, be confident that it's going to happen. You know, that's hard this day and age because the transport portal make it hard, you know, NIL, you know, you got a lot of other stuff that I didn't have to deal with. You had to stay, really. Um, but I just try to treat them like that, try to coach them the best I can coach them and know that they got a mentor, not just a coach, a mentor, somebody they can lean on both on and off the field.
0: What do you enjoy most about coaching?
1: The kids. It's definitely the kids. I mean, that's the relationships that you form, the relationships that you build with them. Watch them grow from being a freshman to a senior. Watch them achieve their goals. Watch them, you know, I, I'm getting to the age now where my guys having kids, so <laughs> which is crazy. Like So <laughs> guys I initially started coaching, now they're having babies and watching them start their families. And um, I just had one, uh, Pablo Alvarez, just got married. Uh, couple of weeks ago, and the guys FaceTimed me from the wedding. Yeah, I, I couldn't make it, so they FaceTimed me, and it was just great, man, that they still think of me as, you know, as as a coach and as a friend and as a mentor for them, that they would want me to be at things like that, that weddings, that, you know, had a few babies named after me. So, you know, I just try to be the best person I can be to the kids. That's That's what I try to
0: do. I think one thing that's pretty standard along the whole journey is whether it's Lynchburg, University of Virginia, or any of your stops along the way coaching, it's those relationships. And it's building those relationships that are just the foundation of a, of a happy life and career. Um, you know, the accolades have started, you know, you, you've had your jersey retired by the university. Uh, you've made it to the College Football Hall of Fame class of 2020. And then obviously April 30th, yeah, you're going to be inducted into, into our Hall of Fame here in the state. Um, if you ever get a free minute to think about, which I know are kind of few and far between, what do you reflect on when you look back at all of these these awards and accolades and these recognitions? Like, what what is there something that's kind of a a common theme when you think about all of these?
1: Well, I, I just think like hard work pays off. I think putting your head to the grind, and I never thought about going to the Hall of Fame. I never. You know, when I got to college and after like two or three years, I started to think about the league. But that wasn't my driving force. I just wanted to win with the team I was on. I wanted to be in that moment. Um, it, it's I, I don't know. I, I mean, I think it's its uh, special for my kids, even though they don't think I was any good. So, they, I mean, I don't know if they
0: will educate them. <laughs> yeah, but they don't watch
1: the tapes. So they don't believe none of it. But I think it's special <laughs> for them because they weren't born when I was playing and stuff like that. They get a chance to share these moments. My wife get to share these moments with me. Um, I'm, I'm fortunate enough that both of my parents still live my brother, um, they get to share these moments. Cause like I said, I, I told them um, when people call me all the time and ask me about it, I said, look, I didn't get to here by myself. I had a lot of people propping me up and allowing me to do what I you know, could do on the field. Because of their sacrifice, so I've been I've been blessed, man. I I really have, and um, but I I really don't know. I mean, it's a special thing, you know. But I think as I get a little bit older and get away from the game, you know, it'll be like half of these kids don't like that I coach now, and unless somebody tell them, they don't even know I played. That's
0: right. You're just their coach.
1: Yeah, you just (laughs) coach, man. And I really never go in the room and tell them. You know, yeah. I, I just let them figure it out for themselves, you know, because sometimes they'd be like looking at me like, man, what are you telling me that for? And like, I'm like, well,
0: yeah, what I, do you know?
1: I played <laughs> it a long time ago, but I, I mean, it's, uh, <laughs> but no, it's, 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 it's it, these are special honors and, you know, I'm I'm fortunate enough to be in this spot, but like I said, a lot of people helped me along the way.
0: Well, we're, uh, we're thrilled to be just a small part of it. And, uh, and we really, I appreciate you taking the time today. I know it's a busy time of year for you with spring practice ramping up, but, uh, but thanks for taking the time chatting with us. Tell us a little bit about your story, and we're looking forward to it. Forty-four days away. Well,
1: I'm looking forward to it, man. I hope I hope the weather's great too, though. You, That's you get, right. Yeah, well, so, late yeah.
0: April in Virginia Beach can be pretty nice. So, knock on wood, we get one of those good one of those good uh good good stretches. So, good luck on spring practice, and hopefully, you bring that same energy with you to Virginia Beach here uh, here at the end of April.
1: Okay. Well, I appreciate you, buddy.
0: All right, well, I'd like to thank everybody for joining us today. I'd like to thank, uh, obviously, Anthony Poindexter for joining us. Um, thank you to all of our partners, Priority Automotive, City of Virginia Beach, uh, Davcon Inc., Optima Health, ESPN Radio 94.1, and of course, uh, Davis Business Appraisers. Stay tuned for updates on future hall calls. we got plenty more in store over the coming days and weeks. Uh, as we as we lead up to the 2022 induction weekend, of course you can learn about all of those by following us on social media, uh, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram at VA Sports HOF. Once again, I'm Will Driscoll with the Virginia Sports Hall of Fame. Whatever you do, participate, don't spectate. 2022 induction weekend is just 44 days away, and we'll see you next time.